When your world changes, and it will, when your life gets rocked, and it will, when it seems like everything you used to count on is now up for grabs, it kind of begs the question, what doesn't change? What's the never-changing constant you can count on in an ever-changing world? I think that question is more important today than ever in the history of the human race because we're living at a time exponentially when change is happening like it has never changed before. Even if you buy something, it's outdated in 12 months, right? I don't care if it's a car or a smartphone or an electronic piece of equipment. And when you look at economics globally, political changes, national changes, uh, crime and terrorism, holy cow, everything seems to be up for grabs. Now, I thought I'd use a few props just to set the stage for what I want to share about, about how fast the world around us changes. For those of you under 40, this is called a typewriter. <laughs> and for a hundred years, this was the most important tool in the business world. And if you girls went in to take a job in an office, you had to take a typing test. Some of the older moms remember that? Yeah. So if you're going to go into business, you had to get one of these and learn how to type. And I remember in school, typing one in high school, we sat at a little desk and we had these little manual typewriters. But by the time I got to typing two, holy cow, we got electric typewriters. They plugged in. They were so cool. IBM Selectric. And yes, I still use it. It is, one day it will be worth millions. I have preserved that sucker, and I tell you, you can't get parts, and you can't find ribbons, and Judy goes, E, what do you call it, eBay or whatever, and we beg for those things. I just pray to God it holds out till I die. I hate change. Well, that was kind of cool, and then somebody got another invention. Steve Jobs and Bill Gates got together and created the computer. The first Mac came out about 1984, and there was no internal hard drive in them, so you had to load into it what was called a floppy disk. It wasn't floppy, and it wasn't a disk, but they called it that, and it took 10 minutes for this thing to boot up. That was amazing, though, in its day. Now, what if Apple had said, well, we've invented the coolest thing in the world? We'll just stop there. Well, they didn't. They went on to invent something called the laptop. Now you can have the computer in your lap. This was amazing because it didn't look like you could get any sleeker or lighter than this, but they did. Then they invented something called the tablet or the iPad. This has been remarkable. Nobody saw this coming. And by this year, 2015, the sale of tablets will exceed that of laptops and desktops combined. It's amazing. They didn't stop there. They created something called a phone. Not just a phone, but a smartphone. And we needed that because we used dumb phones, remember? <laughs> this was called a rotary phone. Take a look. Many of you kids have never seen one of these. You had to put your finger in the number and dial it and wait and dial it. It took forever to dial a long-distance number. And uh, we still talk about, don't we, dialing somebody or putting somebody on speed dial so we can just push one button like God intended. And then they came up with the push-button phone. So in the old days, we had all that to do for numbers, and it took forever. So they invented the smartphone. 
That had to be the last word in change, surely. Except, does anybody know what this is on the screen? This is Google Glass. It's so cool. It has an Android computer in it. And I'm told that back in the mid-60s for a computer to do just some of what the eyeglass does, it would have filled up a room the size of this sanctuary. There's a tiny screen inside so you can look at images. It has a global navigation system. It'll tell you what the next event on your calendar is. You get emails on it. I can be talking to you thinking I'm paying attention to my wife and watching a movie at the same time. <laughs> Just change. It's really incredible, kind of unbelievable. But the world we live in is changing all the time, and what a good time to be alive. However, like most humans, I love change until somebody wants to come along and change something I don't want changed. And boy, welcome to the church. That happens all the time. It turns out I like the change I initiate, but I'm not too sure about the change you want to initiate. Sometimes we choose change. Sometimes change chooses us. When you go up to Green, Texas, they have a sign that says, gently resisting change since 1800 or something. You could put that on a whole lot of churches too, and not gently, just obstinately resisting change. So everything around us seems to be subject to change. Styles change. Fashion changes. The kind of music I love isn't popular anymore. Now you're not metrosexual. Now the band is hipster. Now you got to have skinny jeans. You got to wear a stocking cap. You, you, you got to have a purse, a man purse. The styles keep, yeah, some, of you, some of you old folks, yeah, well, I don't like that. Well, deal with it. It's just the way the culture changes all. Nothing holy about it, nothing unholy about it. It's just, it's just a change in style. The kind of music I love isn't popular anymore. Culture, thank you, honey. Culture change. Yeah, that's all I need. Culture changes. Your body changes. Anybody notice what's going on with your body? <laughs> Countries on the globe change. I look at a map of the world I grew up in school with. And those places have gone and changed, and boundaries of nations have changed. Our children keep changing. You get used to one phase raising them, and you've figured out how to parent them. Then they change again. And you wonder, where did this monster come from? What happened? Teams in sports rise and teams fall. But another thing is for sure, if you live long enough, eventually change will break your heart. A little girl used to put her head under the pillow at night so she couldn't hear her parents yelling at each other. Then one night the yelling stopped because they had told her that mommy and daddy aren't going to live in the same house anymore. That little girl hates change. A man has a job he loves, wakes him up in the morning, gives him significance, gives him identity. People look up to him. People seek him out for advice. And then one day he's told he's too old. Or one day he's got a stroke. He's not able to speak with a full sentence coherently, and no, nobody's coming to see him anymore. He hates change. This is a change-crazy, heartbreaking world. So what do you do? Where do you go? And this is really important for everybody, maybe not for you right now, but I guarantee you, if you keep living, you'll run into it sometime tomorrow. What do you count on in a changing world? Here's what David the psalmist said. God, in the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. Boy, that's the way it is in our world. 
But you, O God, remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them. They will be discarded. But you, O God, remain the same, and your years will never end. And then God summarizes it in Malachi by saying, I, the Lord, do not change. This is the truth about God. You can bet the farm on this. You can build your life on this truth. In a throwaway world, you can count on God. No matter what, you have to count on God because you can count on nobody else. You can count on nothing else. The only alternative is despair and hopelessness. The Bible says you can count on God because God alone does not, will not, cannot ever change. That's the only foundation in a heartbreaking world. God's never changed His mind. God's never changed His Word. I remember looking at a number of religious groups, one which is very prominent in our day. I'm trying to measure my words here. Been changed and edited over 1,500 times. The Bible has never been changed, never been re-edited. God's never said, you know, I changed my mind about that. He's never changed His mind. He's the same. He never changes. Now, this is a great truth about God, and great truths are usually called doctrines. This is sometimes called the doctrine of immutability. To mutate means to change. When our children were little, they had these strange cartoon characters called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anybody remember them? My wife just told me they're making a comeback now. To mutate means to change. A mutant is a member of a changing species. But God is immutable. God doesn't change. And if He changed it all, it would be to change for the worst. How do you improve on a God who knows everything? How do you improve on perfect love? How do you improve on a God who is there no matter where you are? How do you improve on a God who is all-powerful? That's what the writers of Scripture love when they reflect on the unchanging nature of our God. At last, humanity has something they can count on that never changes. James writes, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. The shadows are always there. The world will break your heart, but the Bible says God doesn't change. So let me talk a little bit quickly about four or five things about God that never change. First, God's character doesn't change. Anybody here ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Ever, ever wake up in a bad mood? Ever had a bad hair day? Well, be encouraged. God never does, never has, never will. Throughout all of history, the psalmist put it this way, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever because it never changes. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness, your unchanging goodness to us, to all generations because God will always be faithful even when you are unfaithful. God has never had a day He desired to withhold mercy. God has never been tempted to hold a grudge. Where you see that most clearly, most staggeringly, is the one we follow, our Lord Jesus. Think about this verse, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you don't take any other verse home with you this morning, take that one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't stopped doing anything He did. 
He still heals. He still delivers. He still comforts. He still, he still renews and restores. Everything He has done, He is doing, He will do forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's just as strong in His love. His humility runs just as deep as the day He took a bucket of water and washed His disciples' feet. His compassion is just as tender as the day He reached out to touch an unclean leper nobody would get close to. Jesus Christ alone is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is where the unchangeable God intersects with our changing lives in Jesus. Now, it's kind of a funny thing, but as I get older, I notice things I don't want to change do change, and things I wish would change about me don't change. You know, many years ago when our kids were little, I remember celebrating Christmas, and I got on this Christmas a present, a nose hair trimmer. Joy to the world. <laughs> kind of made me wonder, what's going on up there? What are y'all not telling me? Are you kidding me? A nose hair trimmer? Why is hair growing there? I never used to have that problem. When I was in my 20s, nobody ever bought me a present, a nose hair trimmer. And then there are things about me I wish would change, maybe impatience. But I have to tell you, in moments like that, to think that God still loves me, that Jesus is still my friend that He knows all that junk about you and me, and He still loves me. He would tell the story that God is like a father, we're like His children. When one of His sons does something really stupid, makes really bad choices, and turns around to head to the father, the father runs to Him. And He says, our God is like that. He's still like that for you and me. So I wonder this morning, is there an area where God's character, God's unchanging love, God's power is just what you need today. Do you understand that in God's time, not ours, God doesn't wear a watch, He's eternal. Every promise He has made, God will keep. He has all eternity in front of Him. He's not in a rush. Every purpose God has formed, He'll realize. Every commitment God has made, He will honor. You can be a hundred, and if your wife ninety, and with no chemical help, If he said, you're going to get pregnant, go buy a baby bed, paint the room, load up at Costco on Sam's on some diapers, because God will make it happen. God is not moved by your age or your circumstances or this earth. If he has to stop it to back the sun up, he'll do it. If he has to feed you with a raven, he'll do it. You've got to, we got a God bigger than the government. He's not limited by anything. And so I'm trying to say... The character of our God cannot, must not, and will not ever, ever change. There's nothing else to build your life on that's stable. Secondly, God's power never changes. That's good news because, boy, ours does. Human beauty fades. Human strength ebbs away. Human vitality diminishes. Cindy brought home something from H-E-B, and I was it's a glass with something in it. I don't know what it was. And it has a metal uh, top on it. And when she can't get it off, she says, honey, can you get it off? And you know, sometimes, guys, it's pretty hard. I mean, that sucker's on there really good. And I've always in the past been able to actually break the glass to, to get torque on that thing. But I wasn't breaking the glass, and I wasn't breaking the seal, and I put it between my knees. I did, I did everything. I couldn't move it, and my hands kind of slid around. I thought, 
this is terrible. And I went over to the drawer, and I found a piece of thin rubber, and I put that on the top, and I got down with all my might, and finally, I got it. And I thought, where'd my strength go? I lift weights every week. Where did it go? What's happening to me? Human attractiveness goes south. Thank you, gravity, huh? So girls, thank God for Botox and liposuction and enhancement and augmentation because life is kind of hard. In every area, you hit your peak, and then it's the long downhill slide. Sooner or later, we all peak and head south. Maybe you've got a problem. Maybe, you know, maybe you're thinking and wondering, I wonder if God's kind of lost his fastball. Maybe God was the doer of great things one time, but not for you. Maybe God's getting a little weary. Maybe those arms have lost a little strength. But the Bible encourages you through the psalmist David. He says, God, your dominion endures for all generations. CEOs come and go. Nations rise and fall. Civilizations emerge and then end up on the ash heap of history. But not our God. That's God's power. That's God's strength. So maybe today you need some of God's unchanging power. Where are you afraid and need courage to know He's with you in that hell? Uh, maybe you're confused and you need the guidance to know He's with you. He's lost no wisdom. Maybe you're sick and you need God's power to activate healing in your body. He's the same yesterday as forever. He's the great physician. He still heals today. And he doesn't heal based on a robe or a Hammond B3 organ. He heals because that's who he is. He is the great healer. You're his child. You have covenant privileges and benefits. God hasn't gone weak on that deal. Where are you facing despair? And you need his hope. It's all right there. God's wisdom is just as vast. God's creativity is just as fresh. God's arm is just as strong. God's hearing is just as acute. His resurrection power is just as great. God hasn't slowed down, eased up, pulled back, and gotten tuckered out. God's in his prime, baby, and that will never change. And that's good news. He's as strong today as he was in the Old Testament. But that brings us to another immutable aspect about our God, and that is God's hatred of wrong, of injustice, of sin never changes. You know, especially in our day, we live in a tolerant culture, more so now than ever. And sometimes people kind of hope God's got Alzheimer's, maybe God's got a little dementia, maybe God's kind of in a better mood, maybe He's mellowed over the years, maybe God's chilled out, maybe He's just willing to overlook some stinky things that He used to frown on. But God's hatred of sin, God's refusal to tolerate human greed and what it does to the poor, God's refusal to tolerate injustice and what it does to the oppressed, God's refusal to tolerate bigotry and racism or misused sexuality or a haughty judgmental spirit or envy or deceit, God still hates. God hates how lives get broken, how families get torn apart, how people get wounded through our deception. That hatred burns as strong in God today as it ever did. He's still against it. And you need to know it. God's commitment to justice and righteousness has not softened one bit. This is a multiracial church. This is a multicultural church. I couldn't think of anything more wonderful to me in life. This is not a Republican church. This is not a Democrat church. This is not a cracker church. This is not a Hispanic church. It's a Jesus church. 
And if you'll look around on stage, on staff, on the board, and in the membership, you'll see over all three services, every color, every race, from Nigeria to Nicaragua to Puerto Rico to whatever. I, I don't know. I, I love that. This church is inclusive, not exclusive. It's a church for everybody, and everybody's needed. And if two of us are identical, one of us is absolutely not necessary. And I was telling some white guys the other day, I said, let me tell you something because you don't have a color in your church at all. I says, when a person of color tells you that sounds racist, sit down, shut up, and listen. Listen to what they have to say. You did not endure that. They did. And you cannot say, well, just get over it. You've never suffered with it. And so we owe it to those that have been treated differently than us to listen, to try to get to the heart, to say, man, I feel your pain. I've told you before, I grew up in the South before, uh, before desegregation, before civil rights. It never occurred to me that I could be hurt or abused when stopped by a highway patrol at midnight. Never crossed my mind. But that was not true for an African-American. And that's still not true in some places. And so don't just minimize something you've never endured and never gone through. Because time doesn't heal, God heals. God's the only one that can heal and God can restore. Just some good advice for some of you rigid cultural people understanding that if we're going to reach and minister and be loved and know that you're accepted, everybody must be treated alike. Everybody must be just as acceptable. And I told you, I don't care if you strip dance on a pole or you're still in the drug business, you're in the right place to be to hear what God thinks about you and to find transformation, healing, forgiveness, and deliverance. Only God can change us. My wife can't change me. She's tried for 41 years. It ain't going to work. But God can change me. And God can change you. So God's commitment to righteousness and justice is not soft. Our increasing ability to take sin seriously has not lessened God's hatred of it and its effect on the human race one iota. God's burning hatred of wrongdoing and sin and injustice and its destructive power on humans and society just hasn't changed one iota. That's why God's invitation to all of us who are sinners is come to the cross. Because there's something else that hadn't changed, and that's God's forgiveness. I was thinking back in the days of typewriters, if you made a mistake when you were typing, I had to get this little bottle of stuff called whiteout. And you'd, you'd, you'd run the paper forward, right girls? You'd dab on the, what you messed up, blow on it, put it back down, and then type on it just like you hadn't made a mistake. They still make that, by the way, and I still use it on my typewriter. Now. When electric typewriters came along, some genius invented something even better. It, it was called a self-correcting typewriter. Wow. I was thinking, it wouldn't it be neat if God made self-correcting people? <laughs> wouldn't it be cool, women, if you got a self-correcting husband who would say the wrong thing and then back up and say it over again? <laughs> right. <laughs> but the human race is not self-correcting. The human race is self-destructive. So I did a little Googling a while ago. And do you know where that whiteout liquid came from? Well, this is a little trivia, and you can Google it yourself later. First of all, it was a woman. Secondly, a single mother with one child. From Dallas, Texas, she was a secretary. 
And in 1960, she went into her kitchen and garage, took her mix master, took a little paint, some additives, and came up with a substance that she could paint over something so it would look like a mistake had never been made. Other people in the office and other secretaries heard about it. They started paying her to make it for her. Her name was Betty Neesmith Graham. She invented this in 1960, Dallas, Texas. She called it mistake out, then paint out, then white out, then it became liquid paper. 1960. She sold it to the Gillette Company in 1979 for $47.5 million. Come on, mama. Come on, somebody out there. One simple idea can change the world. And you know who her son was? The drummer for the group, The Monkees. Who would know? Only here would you hear such a thing as that today. So the human race is self-destructive. So God, who in the beginning invented all things, created all things, heaven and earth, the sea, the fish, the creeping things, and human beings, after the fall of man, after sin, because it wasn't needed till then, God had one more invention, one more creation up his seat. God invented something called forgiveness. He would say to you what he says to everybody, and he said a long time ago, come now. Let's reason together. Let's settle the matter. Though your sins be like scarlet, because they cause blood to be shed physically and spiritually, because they're so destructive, because they bring death. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. So the cross became God, God's most astounding invention, the ultimate expression of God's hatred of sin and injustice, and the place of God's powerful sacrificial love and unchanging grace. At the cross, God made a divine whiteout with His blood for all of our sins, all of yours, all of mine, and everybody we know and love. And I have to tell you, if you haven't had that yet, today could be your defining moment with this God. You could come to that cross, you could come to that place where sin was at its worst, and God was at His best. You could come to the place your debt got paid, where His blood got shed, and you can tell God, God. I'm going to stop trying the self-correcting life, and I'm just going to surrender to you. God, would you please blot out my sin? And I, I want to thank you for what Jesus did at the cross, and I receive your forgiveness, your friendship as a gift of grace and mercy. So today could be your defining moment with God right now, and God loves it when that happens. And that leads us to one more unchanging truth about God. God's mission on earth has never, will never change. From the very beginning, all God wanted was a creation made up of people He could love and bless and be with in a wonderful home for them. And then sin messed it all up. And you'd think, well, that's the end of that. But you're wrong. Because then God invented forgiveness, and God was willing to die to redeem people back to Himself, to set things right, to suffer alongside of us and with us, and to die our death so we could live with Him. And now we get to be part of that mission to reconcile redeemed humanity and creation back to God. The power of God, the power of the resurrection, to be part of God's mission to redeem the world. I'm not part of God's mission to fix it. Shoot, I can't fix myself. We're not called to fix anybody. We're not called to judge anybody. We're called to proclaim good news and love people. God does the fixing. I can't fix you. 
right? You can't, I can't make anybody do anything in here. It's free will. It takes the grace and the power of God to transform, to fix any of us. And that's why it has to be good news for everybody. So now we get to be part of that mission to reconcile the world to God. Uh, Be part of His mission to redeem this world. Do everything you can to help anybody who will come to know and be reborn and follow this man Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, I close with this thought. A medical researcher who is in pediatric oncology in Seattle said this, and I'm quoting, I'm not a believer. I'm not a man of faith. But I have sure noticed when families lose a child here, the ones who do the best are those who have faith because they have a hope. They believe somehow there's meaning, and they have a community of people around them to love them. He said the people who did the worst were the people who worked at Microsoft because their God was technology, and their God had failed them, and nobody in the next cubicle would come to their memorial service. See, all we have to offer anybody is Jesus and the love of a spiritual family. We are a family. God sets the solitary. He connects people. God doesn't have anything unconnected. God connects everything. Two shall become one. Uh, a two-fold cord, a two, two are better than one. They have a, a reward for their labor. A three-fold cord is not easily broken. God, God says, he that's planted, not he that attends, he that's planted in the house of God shall be fat and flourish, bring forth fruit, and even in old age, even in old age, he shall be flourish, fat and flourishing. I love that. You don't get weaker, you get stronger. You become productive to the day you die. So I don't want to attend. I want to connect. I want to be planted here. God put me here. That's why I'm here. God planted me in my marriage. You can go out and shack up and hook up with anybody else you want to, but God has a divine planting. And when you break a divine connection, you break off part of your destiny. You break off part of God's purpose. You never break off His love, but you miss something there. I was telling somebody the other day, I made a choice as a parent, nothing, nothing, nothing will ever separate my love from my children. Nothing. Nothing that they do, ever, ever. I can disapprove it. It can be disappointing. It can bring sadness, brokenness to my heart. But I made a choice years ago. I will never allow anything they do, even though I don't approve of it, to separate them from my love. Now, I'm thinking, that's a choice, not an emotion. And you read 1 Corinthians 15, and what does God say? Nothing. Not life or death or angels or principality. or Nothing can separate you from my love. Think about that. Man, I am so glad nothing can separate me from him because there's a, probably a whole lot in me to separate. But he says, not going to happen on my watch. I don't change. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never divorce you. I'll never abandon you. Your wife may, your husband may, your family may write you out. I won't. I love that. So I've never felt like I'm an orphan. Nobody, lo- nobody loves me. My parents didn't love me. Hey, the God who made you said, I made you. You don't get your identity from your natural parents. They birthed you, but God made you, and God said, I, you came from me through them. You didn't come from them. You came from me through them. So get your identity from me. Yeah, I don't have to get it from what I drive or what I wear or where I live or how my body looks or doesn't look. I mean, that's certainly we want to be the best we can. Come on. But my point is, no, my identity is not based on my race or nationality or how much money I make. It's 
I'm the, value, the valuable one of God. He said, I chose you. I called you. I named you. I ordained you to be. So shut up sucking your thumb. Get rid of that pacifier. We got a mission. Let's go do it. That's why I want everybody welcome here. Some of you think God, God changed. God's mad at me. I'm telling you, you can't get this enough. On the cross, if you read Isaiah, God poured the wrath, the hatred, God's impeccable judgment and hatred against sin on His Son. He still hates it. But what's he going to do with it? He said, I'll put it all on my son. I'll put all the evil in this world and all the justice do evil on him. And the Bible says, his wrath was appeased. He was satisfied. Father God is not angry. Now, there will be a judgment you pay if you die without Jesus because you have no substitute. Me? I'm smart. I want somebody else to pay that bill. I want somebody else to take my place. I want somebody else to take judgment. I receive grace and mercy. So you've got to understand, if you watch too much TV, Christian TV, you'll think God hates everybody. God's not mad at anybody. But the issue is we're under grace. Come to His Son Jesus and receive that grace and that mercy and the promise that He will always be with you. And He doesn't heal you or deliver you or save you or do something good to you because you, with your clipboard, measured up today. Some of the best things that have happened to me have happened on my worst days. Some of the most wonderful things God, the Holy Spirit's ever done was a day I was despicable in my attitude and in my heart. And then other days I thought, well, I'm going to be really good this week, and I did this, and I didn't do that, and I didn't do this, and I did that, and I prayed long, and I did this, and it sucked. Because I was thinking, surely that'll make God owe me. And I just quit this owing nonsense and said, no, it's just a gift, just a gift. Ever been given a nice gift? I've had the pleasure to have been given a nice gift. And I wrestle with that a lot. Oh, I could never earn this. I sure don't deserve it. Somebody else deserves it better than me. And then I just got off that horse. I said, I'm just going to enjoy it. It's a gift. Thank you for the gift. And I'm just going to enjoy this gift and love the, the gift giver. Well, that's all God wants you to do. Just love Him. Chill. Would you chill? Quit getting bent out of shape about a tattoo. Quit getting bent out of shape about everything flipping thing that goes on out here and get infatuated about what happened at the cross. God says, I've already taken all that judgment. You're not going to be judged. You're forgiven when you come to Jesus. So we have an unchanging mission to proclaim faith in an unchanging world and in a world that's going to break your heart one day. So whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you're going through, God has one hope for you, nothing else. In a heartbreaking world, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And no matter what's going on in your life, what bad news has come, my one hope is He doesn't change. He's still for me. He still loves me. He will never forsake me. He's still merciful to me. You have impatience. Me too. God doesn't. His mercy endures forever. You read that Psalms, I think it's 134 or 30, I forget what it is. It's every verse. Every verse. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures, His mercy endures forever. I remember Jack Taylor said, God, why don't you repeat yourself so much? And he says, because God says, my mercy endures forever. <laughs> I thought, what, what a great insight spiritually. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.